Hi, I'm Deanna Robbins. And I'm Christy North. Welcome to Pieces of a Woman podcast, where we explore all the pieces that make up a woman, mind, body, and soul. We are two everyday women who have survived, thrived, been defeated, humbled, and spent our lives committed to embracing all complexities of being a woman. This podcast is dedicated to all women, all women searching for real conversations. We are going to be exploring everything from sexuality, aging, menopause, physical and mental health, spirituality, marriage, divorce, and blended families. Everything is on the table, except politics. Every episode will be committed to engaging conversations that will include interviews with influential women, leaders, healers, authors, and good friends. Thank you for taking this journey with us. Welcome everyone to Pieces of a Woman podcast. I'm Deanna Robbins. And I'm Christy North. And we are excited because the next two weeks are going to be big weeks for my partner here, Christy. Um, We are gearing up for Utah Vision Day to support Utah Vision Day that is put on by the Taylor Hagen Memorial Foundation. Um, We're going to dive into that a little bit more, but we want to introduce you to a new podcast, but it's also a, it's not a new podcast, but a podcast that has been out that Christy was actually a guest on about two and a half years ago. Yeah, so this podcast is called The Art of Joy, and it is hosted by Teresa and Ashley, who are a mother-daughter duo, and they interview people that have had some major life experiences, and their goal is to inspire their audience, bring hope, and just really show the beauty in overcoming tragedy. Um, So they asked me to come on the show about two and a half years ago and share my story and the loss of Taylor. So in this episode, you are going to hear that story um, starting from the beginning to what evolved over the two and a half years uh, prior to doing that interview. And I have to say, you know, listening to it today, two and a half years later, so we're at four and a half years, was hard and emotional, but it's also reminded me where I am and how far I've come. Well, Christy, I, you know, I've said this, I've heard this from many of our listeners, because we did do the Turn the Mic on Christy, yes. and we dove into a little bit, but there were a lot of people that said, I want to hear more about her story, and so I'm excited for all of you to actually hear more um, Christy's a pretty amazing individual, as you all know now, by now, and uh, this whole foundation that you have created in your son's name in honor of your son, Taylor, um, is August 7th. The event is August 7th, and you guys are doing some impressive work, but I want to say a big thank you to the Art of Joy for letting us share this episode because they're amazing women. They are beautiful, and we want you to, of course, we hope you get a lot out of this episode, but we want you to go follow them and listen to what they're doing because they are just two beautiful souls that are changing lives. Yeah, they're doing great work. But please enjoy this episode, and we will see you soon. We are Teresa and Ashley, a mother-daughter duo. We believe that every life experience, the good and the bad, is all designed to help you uncover your soul's potential. We call this process the art of joy, and our goal is to share insights, thoughts, and stories that help you remember who you are on the inside, because we believe inspired people inspire people, and that's what the world needs. 
Thanks for joining us today. We're so excited to start a new year. And today we're interviewing Christy North, who is the mother of Taylor Hagen. Unfortunately, Taylor committed suicide two years ago. And since then, his mom, Christy, has gone on to do some pretty incredible work. And we are focusing our interview today on mental health awareness and suicide prevention. This is a really hot topic, especially here in the state of Utah. And we wanna shed light on what's going on with our youth. And we are talking about all the different areas that Christy has become an expert in, unfortunately, because she's had to journey this grief in such a deep way. We're honoring Taylor's memory by discussing all of the great things that he did, and not so much about the hows and whys, but about what has been birthed since his passing. And we hope that you'll enjoy this interview. We also hope that you'll walk away with some new information and insight around your perception of suicide and mental health awareness and be able to share this with your friends and family and loved ones. And let's together try to make 2019 about helping and preserving the life of our beautiful children. Before we jump into this episode, we just want to share a review of the week. This is from Whitney78. Wow, this was such a great listen. I just started to listen to you guys on here, and I can't wait for more. I related so much to this one as I, too, lost a loved one, my brother, and wasn't ready for a relationship, but my now boyfriend came in the one-year mark of my brother's angel day, and I really believe he was sent to me from my brother, and I've never been happier. It's crazy how life happens, and that was referring to Dane's interview. Thank you so much, Whitney. We are so grateful for you that you found comfort, and we are just so grateful that you have found comfort in our podcast. And hope that this episode will also offer you some peace of mind. Hi, Christy. We're so happy that you're here today and kind of want to just dive right into your story and have you tell us a little bit about Taylor and let us know who he is. Well, thank you for having me. I always love talking about Taylor, so I appreciate the opportunity. So Taylor um, was 23 when we lost him to suicide. Uh, took our family by surprise because it was something that we had not expected. I don't think anybody actually ever expects that. But, you know, looking back at Taylor and who Taylor was is part of that whole process of understanding what happened. Um, Taylor was, he was um, your all-American guy. He was good-looking. He was charming. He was positive. He was funny. Um, he was a star athlete in his high school. In fact, he started playing hockey when he was six and quickly became one of the top hockey players in the state of Utah and, in fact, traveled all over the country. Um, he was very um, dedicated and committed, and it was his passion. And on top of that, uh, Taylor was a good friend. He had a lot of uh, different friend groups from, you know, the athletes to the what he would call his book smart friends and he, he was just really well-rounded um, as a person and so he was also complicated you know I look back as a I used to tell Taylor that he challenged me in more ways than I ever could have imagined as a mother and but I also grew from a lot of that as a mother so I'm thankful to him for that he sounds like a really really incredible guy 
You know, he was. He, um, he was a good son. He was the, t- the type of relationship we had. He, used to, he was proud that, to say, I'm a mama's boy, mm. um, even at 23. And I always beamed with it when he said that. Um, we were very close, and I feel like I, you know, I knew Taylor. Um, he was very caring. He was the type that if I was home alone and my husband was traveling, Taylor would call, Mom, do you want me to come home? Did you lock all the doors? And he was, he worried, he was a worrier, which um, I think is kind of part of, you know, what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Was he your oldest? No, he's my middle. Okay. Yeah. So how many kids total do you have? So we are a blended family of 22 years blended. Um, Taylor is in the middle. We have two 29-year-olds, 28. Uh, Taylor would be 26, um, 23, and 17. Wow. So he's a big family. He also has two sisters from his dad's side, so lots of girls, lots of siblings. Yeah. Well, so tell us kind of a little bit more about what happened to Taylor as time went on. You know, if I look back and reflect over the years, um, I would say that it probably started, um, the change for him started in high school. Uh, Probably his sophomore year is when uh, Taylor started maybe experiencing um, a shift. not recognizing what that was, is, you know, from my position, I think he was trying to really understand who he was um, and maybe being exposed to different things that you do in high school contributed to a little bit of his questioning of that. Um, we saw, you know, someone who stayed committed to his sport but would have periods of isolation with friends and... Um, battling with ups and downs emotionally and you know reflecting on that I thought that was typical behavior for a teenage boy Um, and now I look at it as something that he didn't understand that he was feeling or experiencing and kind of voiced it a little bit but still as a parent I wasn't really aware that that meant that he might be starting the Um, beginnings of depression or anxiety well I mean high school is the worst like the hardest it can be really really hard so and I mean I I think every person goes through that time where you're just trying to figure it out and you know what what you like what you don't like who are you so as a mom that doesn't seem totally abnormal to have a kid that's you know kind of going through this funky face right so right. yeah I'm sure that that was I mean I don't know it's kind of hard too because like uh we want to be able to share with everyone like I don't want everyone to be worried like because right. you know it's like you have a kid who's but at the same time you want to recognize these signs it's kind of like this I think you have to find um a good balance yeah. and just making sure that you have really good communication and awareness because you're right, you know, we could be talking about, you know, certain specifics of Taylor's characteristics and someone might say, oh, wow, that sounds like, you know, what I'm experimenting at, experiencing at home. And it may not necessarily mean, you know, sig- you know, extreme depression that would result, you know, in them choosing to do mm-hmm. this. But I think that it's better for us to be aware. Totally. Absolutely. Do you feel like it continued to progress after sophomore year? 
or was it more of a up and a down thing? I, I feel like he was at a really low, um, uh, what's the word, a low point of not him low personally, but the depression and the anxiety and him being more aware of it. And so it really started to show itself after he graduated. Mm. And um, I watched the little things that took place during high school uh, changes of behavior happen. And then I would watch him come back really hard and committed and dedicated. And so I'd see him kind of fight it mm -hmm. and work within himself to try to overcome. Uh, after high school, it was more difficult because uh, he was, you know, harder on himself, I think, thinking that maybe he was a burden to the family because he was not um, uh, showing improvement as far as you know where, who he was going to be, where he was going. Hockey was a big piece for him, and he thought that he would be um, playing hockey at a higher level. And some of the things that happened to him prior to graduation affected his ability. Or I'm, I'm sorry, after graduation affected that opportunity for him. He had a um, opportunity to play junior A in Colorado, and. Uh, you know, that brought on pressures that, you know, we were not prepared for from, you know, the standpoint of his age. And I think there was just a combination of things that affected it. But when looking back, you look at young men and the demands and the expectations, and I think that that was there for Taylor as he just felt like he wasn't living up to it. And he didn't know who he was, and he didn't know what that meant, and wh who am I, what's my identity, Where, who am I going to be, and I'm not doing enough. All of those things just created. So did hockey kind of fall off then? It did. So he was way into it, had these opportunities, but then the pressures just kind of got to him and right. he backed away from it. Right. My question is what kind of pressures exactly was he dealing with at that time? So, you know, we dive, this goes into another level of um, the depression anxiety, which is the self-medicating. Mm -hmm. and. Taylor, you know, started self-medicating to fight the anxiety and the depression with alcohol. And uh, him going through that process, he experienced, you know, some bad choices that went along with that, um, driving and DUI and um, different things that, you know, just really late set him back, as, you know, at that age. And those stresses and that pressure made him feel, um, I'm not, you know, he struggled with this, the issues that it brought and identifying himself with just because he made those bad choices didn't, didn't mean he was a bad person. Right. And he felt like that meant he wasn't who he thought he was going to be. Mm. So I think there was a lot of that that he battled. Um, That's so important daily. to, to, you know, really think about because it's true. The choices we make don't define who we are. And our mistakes probably and is a mistakes. better word. Yeah. yeah the mistakes, mistakes that we make. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that was something that he battled with because he always strived to just do right and be good and, and those things affected him. Um, so the drinking and the self-medicating at the time, I had no idea that was self-medicating. It just never registered with me mm -hmm. to say what is going on, why is this happening? And I looked at it as he's, you know, in his 20s, he's experiencing what it, most 20-year-old boys experience when it comes to being introduced to alcohol, all of that stuff, and I and I just I didn't recognize that it was deeper than than just um, a young man experimenting with alcohol. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and you probably wouldn't as a mom. That's just, you know, it's kind of the same thing. It's the age. They're, you know, have all this freedom all of a sudden. So... Um, you know, and t- to go back, Taylor was good at recognizing that, okay, I'm I'm depending on this and I probably need to make a self-correction. And so he constantly was trying to self-correct. And um, and so, you know, when we talk about what, what are the signs and what, you know, what can you look for? And, you know, I, I look back at that, that he was already beating himself up quite a bit. Mm. And then he was trying to, to change that. But it was bigger for him. And, and that's where we didn't recognize that, you know, he probably needed more. So how, so Taylor was 23 when he took his life? Yes. And so talking about anxiety and depression, if, you know, if we're in a sister or a brother or an aunt or parent or grandparent or, you know, whatever relationship and we have loved ones in our life and we're seeing this depression and anxiety, um, what are some things that you've learned that we can look for? You know, it, there's different levels of it, and so they're hard to to recognize right out the door. And so, I would just say, changes in behavior, mm-hmm. um, not sleeping, nightmares. Uh, if they're communicating that, uh, you can kind of be aware of that um, pattern. Um, isolation, uh, being withdrawn and disconnecting. You'll start to see, you know, they don't. They kind of shy away from the connection with people, um, anger, um, blame, blaming situations, people. Uh, again, it's really being aware and noticing a change. Um, and if it's some somebody that you can identify that maybe that's something that they that has always been, and maybe they just don't recognize that that's what they're, you know, probably dealing with is anxiety or depression. Uh, we talk about holding space and, you know, asking the questions, tell me what you're feeling. How does that, you know, how is that making you feel? What, what brings on those feelings for you? And being able to not, to listen without trying to fix. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I look at, you know, Taylor would tell me, um, mom, I'm, you know, I'm really struggling today. I'm, I'm depressed and I'm, and I don't know how, what to do to, to feel better. And I would say, well, I don't understand why you're depressed. You have this, this, and this. You have all these friends. You are playing hockey. You have a car. I mean, I would list off all of these great things thinking that would fix. And obviously, depression doesn't work that way. It doesn't matter how great our life may look or be. Depression doesn't work that way for... It's, a, it's more of a, it's a feeling that you can't kick. Right. Rather than, right. and it has no relationship to your status or anything exactly and and we're seeing that right we're seeing you know a lot of celebrities that we would look at and go wow they have everything and the result of that doesn't obviously does not mean everything just you know that they have the income or the big house or the car or the wife and spouse and the family that's it doesn't discriminate well, and you look at the pressure that a celebrity's under, and then you look at the pressure that just a regular teenager's under, and there's a parallel there. It's true, yes. Yeah, I feel like I've questioned this so many times with Paul even, because I don't know exactly how he died or exactly what his last moments were or what happened. So for me, I have constantly wondered, okay, well, what were the signs that 
things were getting bad because there were definitely signs like he definitely changed over time and for me I just kind of felt like this was like a new thing he was kind of into he was like kind of into this new spiritual journey and path and I was just kind of accepting it as it came and being very open with him and just doing whatever I I thought was right but deep down I think he really probably was depressed and when you say all of those things I'm like wow you know there's a lot of parallels there um and like I'm not saying I know exactly what happened because I don't but you know it's just I think looking back at it I don't know that there's anything I could have done differently but moving forward recognizing those things in people I see and maybe like just having a fresh perspective and open eyes to everyone around me well what you're saying I mean that's it's that's a that's the beauty yeah um of the perspective and and hearing someone else's story and you know looking at at my own story and and trying to not um be hard on myself uh, and and the regret and the guilt. Um, I think that, you know, from a mother, that's just something that I'll carry, and I think that it's part of it. So when people say, don't feel guilty, there's nothing you could have done. As a mother, we know that we feel like we want to protect, and, and, um, and that's our job. But I look back and think, I did the best I could with what I had and what I knew. And... I am a different person today, and I am more aware, and sadly, I know more um, than I did, so that's all you can do, and um, and that's all we had at the time. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, you do grow after something like that happens, and it's not what you necessarily want, but um, it's just what happens, and it it's for the better and you now can go and you know things like this and you have so many different things you're doing with it but it's yeah it's just really unfortunate but I think the blessing is being able to spread what you now know and hopefully huge and we that's why you know we want to talk about this particular topic because it seems like it's such a hot topic right now and when I was just looking at recent statistics in Utah it's where Utah is fifth in the nation for teen suicide. Yeah. And we're climbing and climbing and climbing. And so it's becoming a crisis and, you know, we may not, we, we all do the best we can with what we have. And then when we know better than we teach that to try to help people have even more tools from that basic level, you know, and again, it's being aware and knowing what to um, what to be aware of. And would you say even like having a perspective shift for some people, because I think a lot of people are kind of in this tunnel vision where it's like, I know what's best for you. I want you, this is how your life's going to be type thing for their parent or parents to their children. And, and then it puts this insane pressure on kids that they have to fulfill these things and they don't necessarily 
figure out like what they personally want it's like they have this life plan already figured out almost yeah I mean I think that in that question with perception it's such a big that is a big conversation because I think that our kids come home or it could be our nieces or nephews or you know any relationship that we have with people that we love in our family come home high or drunk or they've tried some sort of a drug and our first line of defense is to attack them for the use of the substance why are you using that you need to not do that that's dangerous this is stupid what are you doing like we that's the perspective that we come at I think first and I think what we're what we're realizing is that the perceptual shift is more hey what's going on what are you feeling am am I on the right track you are definitely on the right track I I call that um our first response and um there's a talk about being a first responder and I learned this from uh uh two good friends that do and I uh what do they call it um similar to what, what we're doing here, but they, um, re- they do a recording of how a therapist and a mother are kind of working together to work through what it is to be a parent to teens. And uh, they use the example of a first responder. And, and I look back at Taylor and all of my kids, actually, and, and how I reacted to different situations. And, you know, one of them being when they come in, like you mentioned, whether it's they've smoked pot or they've had it, they're, you smell alcohol on their breath, our initial reaction is we freak out mm-hmm. and uh, and the message we're giving them is that we can't handle it and so if we want our children to trust us with the really big stuff then we need to be able to handle all of it you know from the small to the big stuff and we need to be able to respond versus react and um, I'll go a little bit further in that and I, I think I shared with you that first responder analysis is we get it we're driving our car and and we get in a car accident and and we hit a vehicle in front of us and the police officer comes up to the door and what his first react response to us is are you okay instead of oh my god look what you've done you've hit this other car and now you've damaged both your cars and the whole freeway is backed up and how could you have done this and and meanwhile we're in our car already beating ourselves up right with you know what we did and how that happened and so it's an important message for us as parents to um, listen to our kids, you know, and and not react and be able to show and demonstrate that we can handle it. And if that means a little couple of deep breaths when they're sharing with you, whatever the situation is before you talk, um, I've learned and and recognized that I probably made a big deal over stuff that I look back now and go, wow, yeah. That probably wasn't a big deal. I know what a big deal is now. Mm-hmm. I know what it means to to freak out. And the majority of that is not does not warrant that. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And as a mom, I think I've ha- I mean, I know I've had those knee jerk reactions too. Because I think what happens as a parent is you get scared. Or as, you know, whatever the relationship is, you you get in fear when you see your child doing that so you react out of this place of fear and I think the more important thing is to calm our own fears and take that breath and set the fear aside for a later time when we're alone but it's it's a deeper investigation it's how it's are you okay yeah and was this just an experiment are you just doing this because your friends are trying it or is this 
because you're hiding something or it's numbing a part of you that feels sad or anxious or depressed? And is there a bigger story underneath, underneath this? And the reality is that's most likely the case. Right. And if we have our youth that that's, that they, that they're experimenting, then there is something that they are trying to cover and, and put away. Right. Um, so yeah, so, and I, you know, I, now I'm a different mom and I practice that. I'm not always perfect at it, but I practice it with my youngest and sometimes even my older ones that are already out of the house. And, uh, you know, so I look back and I'm, and I'm thankful that I can, I've grown and, um, and can recognize that what's really important, what's worth me freaking out. Well, yeah, you would know that. I mean, just hearing you say that gives me chills because it's so true. I mean, we freak out because they come home intoxicated, but then there's that whole other freak out when they're no longer with us. And so I think that's the bigger message that you're sharing. And we have to be willing to set aside our religious beliefs and our emotional ideas and all of our fears and anxieties around around that so that we can get to the bottom of what's really happening. And our personal expectations. Our personal expectations. That's a big one. And we've talked about that before that our kids come into our life and, you know, I think our best experience with our kids is when we try to discover who they are and help them discover who they are and understanding that they might be completely different than we ever imagined in our whole life and that they may take us on a journey somewhere that we never even knew existed but what a beautiful discovery that can be if we allow it, right? Amazing. I love that. And so I think that at the end of the day, that's what the conversation we're trying to have. One of the bigger tips is to become better, better detectives and listeners and understanders towards what our kids are showing up with. Well, and you know, one of our struggles as parenting is getting our kids to talk to us, right? And and not just a yes and no answer. And, uh, you know, I'm guilty of when my daughter walks in the house just to say, how was your day? And it gives her this really quick out, fine, mm-hmm. or it was good. Um, and so we need to be better at asking the right questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes just better at listening. I'll say, you know, my daughter's really great at talking. All I had to do is walk in their room and lay on the bed and just wait. And I would just, and I would do that uncomfortable wait, whether it was 20 minutes or 30 minutes. And eventually they would start talking and I would get so much information. They were like my favorite, favorite hours that I would spend with my daughters. Boys are so different. Right. Um, we don't get to just, they don't just open up like that. So we have to ask the right questions. And, and, and that, an example of that is instead of how was your day, who did you have lunch with today? Mm. Mm. Or who did you walk to class with today? Um, you know, just being more specific so that they can, we can help them answer those questions better and not give them that easy out. And sometimes it's just recognizing that maybe they don't want to talk about it when they walk in the door. Like we don't want to talk about our full day at the end of the day. And it's, I know you had a long day today and you probably have a lot of homework to do, but I just want you to know I'm here and would love to hear about your day when you're ready Mm. and leave it at that Mm -hmm. and hope that they will, you know, at least they know that we're there. Right. And that they're getting a message from us that says where I'm thinking about you and have been thinking about you. Exactly. I love that. I love that too. Um, so that brings up a next conversation that I think we wanted to talk about. And 
I've heard this from my own son just recently. He's um, 18, and he said he was having me listen to some rap song, and I could barely understand it, <laughs> but I was trying so hard. And and I said, yeah, what's what's he kind of saying there? And he said, Mom, society tells us as men that we can't have emotion and that we can't be sad. And this this person is singing about emotion and how to be sad and and kind of trying to normalize it. And that's just not the message that we get out there in the world. And when you think about it, as women, we're very emotional. And we can cry and expect our husbands or the, the boys, the men in our life to comfort us. But when the tables are turned, because of this cultural belief, we see a man come apart and we kind of, it's the same thing. It's like we go into fear and panic and don't know what to do. Right. And we don't properly hold space for the men and the boys. We don't allow them to get in touch with that feminine side of them that's just hungry for expression. Yeah. And so how can we be better at that? Well, I think it's um, we need to practice the same um, communication that we do with each other. And you're right. You know, it's been that way for years. I think that we're making a shift. I think that we're starting at the beginning of seeing um, expression with our men. Um, and we need to be better uh, mentors to our youth with that. Uh, I think our teens are still struggling, um, but we're seeing a little bit, like I said, a little bit of a shift with what's transpired over the past few years um, as it relates to mental health awareness. Um, it's a tough one, and it's really holding space by, by allowing them the uh, ability to share without judgment. And, and But I think it's difficult to get them to that place and I don't have the perfect answer. I would say, you know, with my experience with my husband and what these last two years have been, you know, watching him with grief and not knowing how different he handles his emotions and especially grief, it was a process for me and for both of us to... Um, be able to share and understand where I would want to go in the room and sit for hours and start a blank wall and he wanted to go skiing mm. and I was quick to go how could you think of skiing and he had to be he had to be active that was his only way of coping and so that's how it is I think in general with you know men when it comes to dealing with their emotions they, they do it so differently and wives, um, sisters, mothers being aware of what that looks like and getting them to maybe be open to sharing how they do that is going to be important for us to know how to mm -hmm. support them in that. And when we say holding space, I think for people who don't know what that term means, it's literally showing up in a room and and, and being able to provide an energy of comfort and peace and support to somebody who is in a conflict of whatever, right? feeling sad. And so we're, we're showing up, we're, when we say we're holding space, we're literally taking all the space in the room and just giving it a big hug with the person right in the middle. And that is a perfect example and description of what it is. It's yeah. without judgment. Without judgment. And without fixing.
And I think as women, we've got to really work on approaching the grief in our men without fear. When they cry, we've got to hold the biggest space we've ever held before. And that sometimes is just sitting by them and maybe holding their hand and not having any words, but just letting them know it's okay. Well, and as women, we want to fix it. Mm -hmm. And with grief, there is no fixing. And so, um, you know, when you talk about just in general uh, mental health or just emotions that a man is struggling with, being able to hold space and not think you have to fix it, um, not trying to give a, a solution such as, well, you'll feel better if you do this or this happened for a reason or um, try to be positive. I mean, those are not, that's not going to fix it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's listening, it's providing the comfort and, um, and just being. Mm -hmm. exactly. and, and I think too, that we've learned too, that it's also seeking that outside help, somebody, a therapist, somebody that you trust that you can go kind of have oversee that process with you. Right. Um, I, I believe that, you know, we can't always do it ourselves and we may not be the best um, resource for somebody who's struggling and finding an outside group or an, a therapist is an option. Um, there's, you know, other areas that I think that we don't focus on when it comes to coping skills and we are, as a, as a community and a society, I think are starting to recognize that, you know, meditation is becoming a big um, outlet and resource, and it's an amazing way to work through anxiety and depression and connecting with people. You know, we, we're missing that piece, just connection, uh, which is a whole other level of question as it relates to our youth and social media and, and the false perception that that's connecting. Um, so, you know, putting ourselves in a situation where we have people around us and that connection and um, meditation and outdoor and nature, all of those things are, are complementing something like therapy to help us kind of work through um, whether it's grief or any sort of depression or anxiety. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, we found that ourselves. Those Those three things are huge. And if you can think outside the box and explore some of those options. You're doing yourself a big favor. And it's interesting because we've talked to, about PTSD and PTSD comes with the same anxiety and depression that death causes. So really, you know, you can take all these different categories, but the emotions, the raw emotions at the base level end up being the same. Yeah. And so if we can borrow ideas from other mental illnesses or, you know, and say, what, what does that person do to feel better? Maybe that could work for me too. Right. Being mm -hmm. open. I think we're at a place in, in, um, in our world that we just need to be more open. And if you would have asked me about meditation two years ago, I would have laughed at you. Mm. And I had to be open and experiment with it and test it and try it. And, and it has beautiful benefits. Um, so just being open, whatever works for you, it's not going to be the same prescription for everybody. Have you found a specific meditation style that works? I've done a few. Um, I've been introduced to a, a few different. I personally um, use a lot of recordings that have been given to me. I have grief recordings, um, 
that I that I use. I do a lot sitting. I do a lot laying. I've done um, sound bowls, uh, mm. all, all sorts of stuff that I am more open today than I ever was. So <laughs> I think yeah. Taylor looked at, is looking down and going, wow, who are you? <laughs> but, but that's what happens. It's, you know, you find yourself in, in the middle of grief and sometimes the information that you've been, that you've been raised with isn't enough. And you have to go outside your box and find ways of coping that you didn't know existed. Well, you have something like this happen to you. And um, I've never had anything real tragic happen. I'm 48 and I can honestly look back and, and yes, I've been through some stuff. But this was, a, you know, a game changer for me personally and our whole entire family. Um, and I, I look back and think of who I was and and... I thought, you know, I was a pretty good person and I was doing really good stuff, but you have something like this happen to you and you have to make, you're just forced to look at life differently, look mm -hmm. at yourself differently. And, um, and you're willing at this point, you're willing to try and do anything because you just want to have a sense of one, who you are, but also why am I here and what do I need to do to, you know, continue and have a purpose and do right. I started meditating recently too and I'm like why has it taken me this long to do this like I could have benefited from meditation through so many different experiences throughout my life but and I'm glad like I've discovered it now and I'm like because I think I never knew how and I was just like oh do I just sit there cross-legged with my arms out and just like sit there I don't know and breathe but I found like a guided meditation on Audible that's free and I it's called 21 Days of Meditation and I just have been doing that every day. It's very introductory into it and just it's like 10 minutes and I've noticed how much happier I've been every day and it's at the end of the day allowed me to let all of the heaviness go throughout the day and just like let it go and start the next day fresh and it's helped so, so much, so much. Well, and, it, you know, people are so quick to say, oh, I can't meditate, I can't concentrate, I have so much thoughts going through my head, and it's it's a practice, um, and you just can give yourself, you know, just a couple of minutes, mm -hmm. and then you grow from there, but I'm with you. I, like I said, two years ago, I would have laughed, and here I am today saying, everybody should meditate. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Right? <laughs> Well, yeah, I've noticed myself checking in more and writing in my journal more and just, yeah, it's one of those things. It's part, I feel like for me, at least it's been part of my, I haven't like been meditating up till this point and I don't know that my brain could even like handle one more thing to try to do. I was just like in survival mode, but now that I'm like I feel like this is my year to regrow and rebirth and like I've just focused way more on myself and it's there's a process for everyone in every time of your life but it's so great to find that and discover that because I can now like discover myself and you know just kind of allows and there's no rules to it I think it's however you want it to be yeah you're giving me the chills because I just think I mean that's one of those beautiful things that has come with your loss is that you have found something that um, helps you to feel better yeah and I look back it's like I was just living life as everyone does as you feel like is normal you're just doing the things and that you think you're supposed to you know I feel like 
before my big grief, I just did life how I thought I was supposed to. I didn't do anything to really connect deeper. I just kind of did it and I just kind of went through life and it was just kind of like very surface. And after I went through my hard grief or have gone through it, it's really helped me to check in and be like, okay, no, like I have to check in with myself. And it's so unfortunate I had to go through that to really like get that in my brain, but it's so important. Can you imagine your life though had you not and never knowing what this is? Yeah. I do look back and and yeah, I, I wish it wasn't. But if I did not know the compassion that I know now, so that's something that I take, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't take lightly. I think that there's, you know, beauty, collateral beauty um, that Mm, we get from it. Collateral beauty. Yeah. And, you know, everything you're saying is thankful. You know, Mm -hmm. I I keep thinking thankful that you have that. That's exactly how I felt, like, for a while. I just have been so grateful for all of the things that had to happen for me to even get to the place I'm in now. I have an incredible family. I have an amazing support system. I have my beautiful baby. I have, you know, it's just, I could go on and on and on. And I've been able to reconnect with myself and look at life in a different way and have more compassion for people. And while I would take it all back in one second, and I can't do that, so I have to find all these other things, though. And it's just, it is beautiful. Yeah. And it sucks, but it's, it is, there is beauty in it. I um, have a more appreciation. So when you talk about what you were doing before, I call that existing. Yes. And yeah. I, you know, I, I look back and I think I was existing. I was doing what needed to be done and, just kind and of going floating. along. Yeah. And, and now I, I feel like I live with more purpose. I have more intention. Um, just yesterday I was walking out of my office and I looked up and I could see the mountains and they were right there and I was appreciating how beautiful and magnificent that they were looking. I wouldn't have done that two years ago. I was saying out loud, wow, look how crisp they look and look at the snow on them and I was appreciating how amazing they were and and then I reflected for a minute, I don't think you would have done this two years ago. Mm. But you woke up. It's like you woke up. I feel like I woke up. And don't you think that's literally like, that's the gift, right? That is the gift in the middle of the grief. When we say that you're, when you're, when somebody is in so much grief that they can't even see anything but black, this is what we're talking about when we're saying that at the opposite end of that darkness is an exact opposite of joy right? and evolvement that you get to experience. It's true, and you don't see it in the beginning. You don't anticipate it. You mm-hmm. think there's absolutely no way that it's possible. And I, you know, I was, that was where I was at, and I'm two years this last week. And, and some days I feel like it's forever ago, and other days it feels like yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I can say, you know, I've come a long way in so many areas. Would you say it's been a choice? Oh, definitely. To move in the direction that you've moved in. Definitely. Um, You know, I made a choice within a week of, you know, kind of processing what my life was going to look like and not really knowing and and not being able to 
really think about that because I was in such a fog, but I knew that I had to make a choice. And part of that choice involved my other children. Um, I had to figure out how I was going to continue to be the mom that Taylor had and recognize that they have a lot of years left and they've experienced a tragedy at such a young age they still have a lot of life that is there to enjoy and they deserve to have a mom that is present and can give them the same that they had before if not better mm. so i yeah i definitely had to make a choice and there are days that it's not easy mm-hmm. you know i have those days that i question how am i going to continue to do this how do i live without him and and i struggle with you know moving forward and fighting to just get out of bed i have those days but that's real and that's part of grief and it's just as long as i don't park there for a long period and i accept that it's my allowing myself to be and part of that is being kind to myself and and taking care of me and so i allow myself to go there and but then i nudge myself to go past it and you know to keep going further I, I love, love that. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> same. exact same. And yeah. I think that that's the message that we keep trying to relay over and over and over again in different circumstances is that you definitely dip into the dark and that's a normal process. But I love the way you say that it's a choice to not park there. You have to still get up and keep working towards that joy and trying these things that are outside of the box to get you there. Um, we've been so impressed to hear about what you've done in honor of Taylor Sense and want to talk about your foundation and your bereaved mothers group because I think that what you're doing, in spite of what you've been through, is just absolutely incredible. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> absolutely incredible. Thank you. Um, so we started the Taylor Hagen Foundation in 2017, and you know, as a mother, I obviously, you know, coming into this was like, I want him to be remembered. I want to honor him, and I want his legacy to continue. And uh, so we started it, not knowing exactly what it would look like and what it would grow into. And initially, it was to give back in some way to. Um, organizations that were um, providing support to suicide prevention and mental health, but also honor Taylor through hockey and provide scholarships to young hockey players that um, may need support so that they can continue their passion and their dream. And, and we were able to do that through different donations and continued to do events where we raised money and started um, to consider the bereaved mother retreats. And that was um, inspired through a retreat that I went to. I, early in my grief, I was four months in and thought, I need to figure out how I'm going to do this. I need to find a way to, to work through um, what this looks like. And so I looked, looked for retreats all over the web, and I could not find anything that really fit um, me. I, was, I did not want therapy. Um, I wanted something different. I didn't know what that was exactly. And so I was open but I ended up having to go to Canada and found a retreat in Canada. So I literally got on a plane, flew to Canada, took a car for a two hour drive. So when I say you're willing to do whatever and be wow. open, I was, that was my journey at the time. And it could have gone 
either way and I was hopeful that it you know it would be a good experience and it was it was a beautiful weekend I the lady that holds the retreats is a mother that lost her son nine years ago beautiful woman and and I said to her on the third day I will be doing these in Utah and you know she laughed because I'm sure many people probably said that to her and she said okay sure and I went home and a year later I called her and said okay I'm ready we're doing the retreats and I'm flying you out here and I flew her out for the first few retreats and she helped me facilitate them and mentor and we have since been able to help over 27 moms find their way of coping and understanding and bonding with other mothers that have lost children so the retreats are not designed just around suicide I opened them up to all child loss because mm -hmm. I feel like there is a bond as mothers that we gain and perspective from each other regardless of how we've lost our children. Um, and uh, we've been, you know, we've been holding them since last year. They're, they're a beautiful weekend of teaching self-care. And I'm, I love when I get a message and I see something posted where these mothers have gotten together and they are saying, thank you. Thank you for providing us and bringing us um, hope. And I've had moms from loss from one year to 20 years. Mm -hmm. And you think, you know, 20 years, they're still going to these retreats. And I, I think that we have to continue to remind ourselves to self-care mm -hmm. and it doesn't go away. And so we have to keep that practice. Yeah, mm -hmm. we, we've said that over and over again, that grief doesn't go anywhere. It becomes a part of who you are forever. Right. And you, you visit it. It's like you, you expand and constrict and you visit the grief and you have those horrible days and then you grow outside of that and have the beautiful times. But it is, it's an ebb and flow. It is. And you've got to roll with the anniversaries and all of that. times of year and just all kinds of triggers. Yeah. I love that you're doing that for women. And I think that's so important. And it's nice to know that it's for all bereaving mothers regardless yes of how they've lost a child because I mean I'm not sure that I can think of a greater heartbreak it, it is definitely it is definitely one of the greatest I think and I hope you know nobody ever experiences it and part of that you know program is caring for our bereaved moms um, also you know it's prevention mm -hmm. it is also prevention um, mm -hmm. sadly mothers tend to have the highest rate of suicide as well there's a big statistic mm -hmm. out there with that have lost children and so we're you know hoping that we're creating a, a, a place for them to work through that and prevent that oh I didn't realize that that was a statistic as well yes so moms wow. tend to take their own life after they've lost a child right Wow. Oh, that just speaks to the to the depth of that grief so how do how do mothers find you is there like a website? How do they join these um, groups? So we have a social media presence through the Taylor Hagen Memorial Foundation. We also have a website and uh, we do uh, a lot of, um, we receive donations that help us support moms that cannot afford it. So I never want to say no to a mother that, you know, needs it and may not be able to um, financially uh, do it so we have sponsorships that care for our mothers that mm. that they just have to basically reach out it's there's an email address and they reach out and then I connect with them and and we go through it and we have 
five uh, retreats that are scheduled for this next year. Mm. Our first one in February is um, about field. So uh, March or May is our next one. And they're all posted on the website and the social media page. We'll make sure that we link that um, on our blog and give all the details so that people can find you. And then that just means that the fundraising efforts become that much more important. So for people who have that ability to donate and mm-hmm. yes. to a great cause, this is one that really is super important. And then um, you also said that you started a clothing line for Taylor, which I think is so Yes. Awesome. Tell us a little bit about that. We did. So, you know, Taylor shared his dream to start to start a T-shirt company um, a few years back prior to losing him. And he wanted to uh, design a brand that represented overcoming challenges, persevering through life, being in the moment, embracing the moment. Um, and he wanted to be the inspiration behind that. Uh, we talked about what that would look like and and how he would he wanted to give back to his community. At, at the time, the name he wanted it to be Infinite Vision. He had already conceptualized that it would be Infinite Vision and, and what that um, brand would look like. And after losing him and him not being able to uh, start that on his birthday in April, our family came together and we brought Infinite Vision to life. Mm. And so it is a clothing line that gives back and supports mental health awareness and suicide prevention with proceeds. And you can find us online, and we also have a social media presence. But it's a lot of designs that really represent Taylor, and his siblings have also shared in designing um, that help them connect with their brother. Mm. Oh, I love that. That's yeah. really cool. It's giving everyone a place to land and kind of a purpose. It's been amazing, that, you know, not knowing what it would look like and, and how far it would go, but it's really honestly created a platform for people to talk about their troubles in an environment that you would not necessarily consider a place to do that. You know, we've been at different trade shows where it just says Infinite Vision Clothing, and and we do have the suicide prevention banners, but it was surprising to see how many people that opened that door to say, hey, I've struggled with suicide. I have anxiety, and we were able to be able to connect them with resources where, you know, again, it's been a platform for us to open up that dialogue and um take away that stigma yeah that's exactly it it's a big stigma and that's what we need to work on yes that mental health we all have mental health issues to work everyone does just different Mm -hmm. you know levels different levels and different kinds but man we can totally do that if we can take away the shame it's not shameful it's that's the piece it's to not hold it shamefully but to say yeah, here's my struggle, and then what are the things I can do? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And we also love that you're offering scholarships for the hockey kids yes. that need help yes. to play hockey. I think that's really a great way to give back as well. Yeah, it's a it's a really beautiful way for us to, again, honor Taylor and keep his legacy alive. And we basically have an application process. They write their story, what they're passionate about hockey and and maybe you know some come with challenges that um, have uh, affected their ability. And so, uh, as a family, we go through all those applications, and we pick two, and we deliver those scholarships at one of their hockey games um, or tournaments. And so, we've done four since uh, last year, and uh, we do two a year. That's great. Yeah, mm, that's amazing. We've been fortunate that the community is really 
wrapping their arms around us and supporting us so that we can continue to help other people. Yeah, well, something something like that does touch a community. I mean, I think we felt that same way mm-hmm. just recently. You know, we had such community outreach and support. And so it's just amazing when you realize that the people outside of your immediate family are there for you too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and we want to, you know, give back to the community. There's, you know, a lot of organizations that are doing big stuff and it's nationwide and we appreciate those efforts, but we feel like there's a need right here. And so we really want our organization to be focused here within the community and, and we've been able to accomplish that. So we're very thankful. I love that. Well, thank you for all that you're doing and thank you for joining us today and opening up. I know it's not always the easiest thing to do, but I just think that everyone's going to gain so much knowledge and information from this and even just connecting with people around and yourself, and thank you. Well, thank both of you for giving me a place to talk and to share, and because you guys, you know, have a story, and, and I appreciate you being open, and you're both beautiful that you're getting the message out there, so thank you for, for, put, for putting this together. You're welcome. Of course. Thank you. I loved what Christy said about the first responders and the way that she explained that because it, I've noticed in my life, just even in my relationship with Dane, that like the other day he was being so sweet and trying to install a light for me and he had the light switch flipped on and totally shocked himself and my first responder like immediately went to fear like why would you do that what were you thinking kind of like you idiot what are you doing when I should have said are you okay and I love just the perspective she put she put that in because it made me feel like even in my daily life and daily situations I am not being a first responder and that is such an important thing to just remember. So thank you so much, Christy. So we are going to include in our show notes a link to theartofjoy.com. And if you'll visit our website, you will find all of the links to the Hagen Foundation, the Taylor Hagen Memorial, actually, is what it's called. And then inside of there are so many valuable resources for suicide prevention, mental health awareness, the Bereaved Mothers Group, and then also the Infinity Vision Clothing, which is a birth of Taylor's vision, which is such a beautiful thing that his family has done for him. And also, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share your favorite episodes on social media and link to us when you do that so that we know who's listening. Yes, everything helps us so much. Just every share and mention and we just love to see who's listening and we are so grateful for you guys. So thank you for tuning in and hopefully you took something away from this today and you can use it in your life.
thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you think someone could benefit, please share. If there's a conversation you think we should be having or a topic that resonated with you, please let us know. You can engage and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Pieces of a Woman Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. If you listen to us on Apple, leave us a five-star rating and a comment.